So let's jump in. We're in Psalm 22 today. We've got three weeks left in the Psalms, and then uh, on the weekend of September 18th, we'll uh, kick off our series in Deuteronomy, which I'm getting really pumped for, guys. We've, we've got all the passages laid out. Deuteronomy, we're going to do a little bit different than a lot of the books we do, sort of like we did with Psalms. We're not going to try to preach every verse of Deuteronomy. Uh, that would put us in Deuteronomy for a very long time. Instead, what we're going to do is try to take representative passages from the beginning to the end of the book and give you a good overview. And I think there's 13 weeks that we have planned in Deuteronomy that'll take us up to Christmas. And this is going to be a good series. It's going to be a really good series. So I hope you'll join us uh, this September as we get into Deuteronomy. But today we're in Psalm 22. Now that you've had a moment to turn there, and I do encourage you to turn there. This is, I think, the longest psalm that we've done in this series. And because of that, it'll be extra helpful if you have it open in front of you. And so if you have a Bible app or if you have a Bible in uh, in print version, uh, please open to Psalm 22. That'll be much more helpful than trying to follow along on the screen as we go along. But I'll read starting in verse 1, which says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest, but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my my only life from the power of these dogs, Save me from the lion's mouth and the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give you praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. 
the humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your, heart, may your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we meditate on these words of David today. As we, as we find in these words the depths of despair and the height of praise, which he wrote some 3,000 years ago, God, may our hearts be open to trust you with our own despair. May our, may, may our guard come down today. May we be willing to examine again today your place in our suffering. God, I pray that you would comfort those who today are in the midst of despair. And that you would prepare those who are perhaps un, unbeknownst to them heading into a season of despair. May your word guide us and lead us this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 22 is one of uh, a category of psalms that we see throughout the book. These are psalms of lament, psalms of things aren't going well, so where are you, God? And one of the things you'll notice in, in these psalms of lament is that the psalmists are not afraid to, to bring, let's say, accusations before God that, that perhaps challenge his character. And, and yet we find that, that fine line between open honesty with God and, and, and yet arrogance and blasphemous attitudes. And so I, I think as we look at Psalm 22, one of the things that jumps out is David is approaching that line. He's, he's asking God, where are you? Have you, ever, have you ever asked that question? God, where are you? Why are you not doing something about this? Why are you not intervening? You're supposed to be a good God. You're supposed to be a sovereign and in control God. So why is this happening? David brings that attitude before the Lord. He reminds God of what he's done in the past. And he calls on God. Like, what's happening here? Why, why are you not listening? So as we look at this psalm, I want to I break it down into three sections. And those three sections you'll see on the handout each have a point that go along with them. And, and then having looked at the psalm, I want to talk about some real practical applications of how we can apply this to our lives. The first one, 
first one you see on the handout goes like this. David cried out, but God did not answer. He sought God's presence, but God appeared to be far off. I don't know what you think of when you think of the life of David. You may think, ah, he's this this Bible hero. I bet he had this awesome life of always seeing God do miraculous things and always being in the midst of like tremendous blessing from God. And, And then you read the story of David in the Bible and you're like, oh, he actually had a pretty terrible life. Most of his life was not good. There were some good things that happened, but, but David suffered greatly. He experienced all kinds of pain. And we see here in Psalm 22 an example of a time when David cried out, yet God did not answer. And when he sought for God's presence, but God seemed to be nowhere to be found. He says in verse 2, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest. I don't know if you've ever been in a a Psalm 22 season, but it's one of the things that as Christians tends to cause us to question God's goodness or to, to question his care for us. These are not these are not I had a bad day seasons. These are not uh that was a crummy day at work or you know something something happened that cost me a little bit of money. These are seasons of I don't know if I'm going to come out of this. These are seasons of uh, I don't know if I want to stick around to find out if I'm going to come out of this. These are, these are times of great despair. David, as he experiences despair, reminds himself of some things. He said, after saying, I cry by day and you don't answer, and by night I have no rest, but then he reminds himself, he says, but you, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. One of the things about being a part of the nation of Israel that that just would have been a part of David's life from a very young age is that Israel had, and, and still does today, had this strong national identity that was rooted in God's choosing them and eventually God's deliverance of them from Egypt. And he would have grown up hearing the stories again and again about how God had worked in the nation of Israel. So he says, our ancestors trusted in you. and You rescued them. They cried to you and, you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. Well, that's good news. David's saying, you're a God who rescues your people. But then he removes himself from that category. He says, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. He removes himself from the category of people for whom God cares. That's what despair does. Despair doesn't always convince us that God does not act on behalf of his people Sometimes despair convinces us that we are not among God's people. 
I don't, I don't doubt that he cares for somebody. I just doubt that he cares for me. I must not fall into the category of people that he rescues. I know God is a rescuing God. I know God is a faithful God. But look at my life. I'm, I'm a worm, not a man. And then he goes back and he says again, It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Then again, maybe I do belong. Then again, maybe maybe God does care about me. Because from the time I was born, I've, I've, I've been upheld by his loving care. That's the thing about despair is it's this tug of war between am I going to be okay or is this just going to stay awful forever? Does God really care or has God finally given up on me? Despair is, is this mental battle between God's faithfulness and our difficult circumstances. How's this going to play out? Have you been there? Have you ever been in a position like David where you just weren't sure, you couldn't convince yourself that God was really going to come through? David cried out, but God did not answer. He sought God's presence, but God appeared to be far off. The second thing you see on the handout is this. David's enemies were winning They mocked his trust in God and delighted in his downfall. David's situation is is so bad that he, he looks and all he sees is people delighting in his downfall. All he sees are his enemies, those who had opposed him rejoicing and mocking and taking advantage of his weak situation. <clears throat> he says, many bulls surround me. Strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me. Lions mauling and roaring. When life is closing in on you in a way that your circumstances begin to feel like wild beasts coming to consume you. When, when, when life begins to feel like just one terrible thing after another and there's no escape and there's no help, David knows what that felt like. He says, I'm poured out like water All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. The tongue sticks, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. Dogs in in David's time, these aren't like golden doodles, right? These are these are rabid scavengers. Like, don't picture puppies coming to play. Picture 
desperate animals that will do anything to survive. That is, that is what is surrounding David. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. And then he says again, but you, Lord, don't be far away. One of the things about the Psalms of Lament is with with just a couple of exceptions, and there are exceptions, but just with just those couple exceptions, there's there's always this, things couldn't get any worse and you don't seem to care and I don't know why this is happening, but, but you, Lord, there's always this, but, but yet I will, I will hope in you. I will trust in you. And, and here we are again, David, after describing what seems to be just complete, utter hopelessness, He reminds himself, but you, Lord, don't be far away. There is still hope. If God himself would just come to my side, if God himself would come to my rescue, I could survive this. I could be okay. My strength That's how he refers to God. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. David's despair is, is still not enough to completely extinguish the the light of hope that he has in God. When, when, When despair becomes so consuming that that you don't see how this is going to be okay, when you don't see how God is going to work this out, whatever you do, do not completely rule out the possibility that God may yet come through for you. You must maintain that hope. You must at least hold on to the possibility that if there is a God who is able to create everything that is in existence simply by speaking it in to existence, then perhaps if he were for a moment to turn his love and his attention toward me, then he could make this right. He could answer me. He could come through in a way that brings me out of this dust of despair that brings me out of this brink of hopelessness and allows me to rejoice and to have hope once again. You have to hold on to that hope, not not because 
not for your sake, though it will work to your advantage, but for the sake of the God who has thus far been with you. David now transitions from the desperate situation he is in, and we don't know for sure if the last part of this psalm would have been written after things started to work out, or if, or if this was just an expression of confidence that one day they would. Either way, the third part of this psalm is a testimony and a reminder that God is worthy of such trust and hope. The third thing you see on the handout says, David responded with trust and rejoiced in knowing that God would be praised for his faithfulness. He responded with trust and rejoiced in knowing that God would be praised for his faithfulness. The psalm's gonna take a distinct turn now from despair to confidence, from despair to faith. The psalm psalm is gonna take a turn now really from this sort of inward navel gazing, as we sometimes call it, where, you know, you just kind of have your head down and all you can see is how bad things are and how horrible your life is. And now David's gonna look up and he's gonna see what God is doing. And he's going to see God's worth. Verse 22, he says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him. This is, this is the same guy who, who moments earlier was looking for God and he was nowhere to be found. And now David's confidence in the Lord is that he does not he does not despise or abhor the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. He says, I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down, and those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life, their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet born. They will declare what he has done. Okay, that's the psalm. That's, that's the message. We have, we have three, three parts through this psalm. We have despair and more despair and then rejoicing and celebrating. We have answered prayer. We, we, we have hopelessness and gratitude. Such is life. 
Such is life. And so, so it is for, for every Christian to walk this earth. There will be times of desperation. There will be times of hopelessness. And yet those times of desperation and hopelessness will always be the gateway to great rejoicing in the Lord. That's the beauty of Psalm 22. Psalm 22 teaches us that even when we are tempted to lose hope, even when we think God has stopped listening, we need to have the confidence to to trust in him that he's about to or will one day cause us to praise him for how he has come to our aid. Now, when you're in the the moment of despair, when you're in the situation that's causing you to doubt his goodness, to doubt his desire to help you, to doubt what he has in, in store and what he has planned for you, the trick is being able to see past that and, and to remember that God is a God who fulfills his promises. And so let me give you three applications. And these applications are really, um, I think, the meat of the sermon here. Because it's one thing to know how David experienced this, but what are we to do when we find ourselves in this situation? So let's talk about when you despair. When you despair, lean on the community of the faithful. That's the first application. When you despair, lean on the community of the faithful. This won't. This is where I said it would be helpful if you have Psalm uh, 22 open in front of you because this is where the 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 slides and I couldn't, there was just, there's so much text here. I couldn't just keep putting those back up there again and again and again, and it'd just be hard to keep up with. So you just have to follow me verbally. If you, if you look back to verse 25 of Psalm 22, he says, I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. One of the most helpful responses and, and, and yet one of the most difficult things to do in seasons of despair or in seasons of hopelessness are to actually continue gathering together with, with your church family. When David says, I will give you praise in, in the great assembly, he's, he's, he's mo- removing himself from the, the desperation of his situation, and he's placing himself in a position of, of faith and obedience. I like the way Gerald Wilson said it in his commentary on, on this psalm. He says, sometimes our only remaining hope is to place ourselves within the worshiping community of God's people. There he is praised, even if we are unable to praise him. There the mighty acts of God are proclaimed even when we cannot see them. There, God is present, though he remains absent from our own experience. There's something incredibly helpful about showing up for Sunday worship, 
or for your small group or for the Bible study that you're in. There's something incredibly helpful about showing up even when you're going through it because you're surrounding yourself with people who are seeing things that you aren't seeing. You're surrounding yourself with people who are experiencing a confidence in God that you don't currently have. And, and you receive, the, in some sense, the benefit of, of being together with them as they praise and as they re- remind you of what God has done through their expressions of worship and their expressions of, of gratitude towards God. <clears throat> Anytime I have been in despair, and I have been, Anytime I've been in a situation like that, I've found it incredibly helpful to place myself in a position amongst the body of Christ where God could speak to me, even though on my own, I I could not hear his voice. It's incredibly helpful. When I've I've been in uh, those dark nights of the soul where I... I felt as though I, I could not or did not, at times did not even want to worship God. It still has been incredibly helpful to place myself in a position where I'm surrounded by people who do want to worship him. There's just something incredibly helpful about that. What David is, is pointing to when, when, he, when he thinks of how he's going to climb out of this pit or when he thinks of how God is going to rescue him from this pit, probably be a better way of thinking it, he thinks about the assembly of God's people. He thinks about how good it will be to gather together with the community of the faithful. And how he not only wants to be in the presence of their praises, but he envisions himself getting involved. He says, I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. I think he's referring, <coughs> excuse me, to ceremonial worship that was prescribed in the Old Testament. And he says, the humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. The problem, one of the challenges of, of, of kind of losing sight of what God is doing is that we cut ourselves off from the people who have the greatest potential to help us. We don't get up for church because we don't feel like worshiping. We don't, we don't get up for church because we don't want to be around people that are happy and seem to be doing okay. But that's exactly what we need. We need, we need to get up and we need to put ourselves, we need to show up for a small group. We need to go to that Bible study because that is the means that God often uses to bring us out of what we're going through. And so the first application is when you find yourself in these difficult situations where, where your faith is hanging by a thread, it's, it's very important that you surround yourself with people who are experiencing God's work in their lives. The second one, when you despair, trust God for a better future. 
when you despair, trust God for a better future. David's been around the block enough at this point. He's, he's experienced the ups and downs. He's been through the highs and the lows of life. Uh, so, there are certain highs and lows that just everybody goes through. But then there are specific highs and lows that those who follow God go through. And he's been through both. He's experienced just the normal difficulties and challenges of being alive and he's experienced the difficulties and challenges of, of attempting to follow God. And he's, he has been through enough that he is aware that even though it feels like there's no way out, even though it feels like things will never get better, that God has been doing this for a very long time. And so he reminds himself he reminds himself of, first of all, of what God has done in the past. He looks back to the examples of God's faithfulness that he has heard from the beginning of his life up until this time. He, as, as a Jew, as an Israelite, would have, would have been very familiar with God's saving rescue of Israel time and time again. And he also... He also re reminds himself of how God has worked in his own life to rescue him. And he applies those things to his current situation and develops this confidence of a better future. And that is a very helpful and necessary tool to develop in your own life. Because it's so easy to get sucked into how I feel right now, what I'm going through in this moment, and that may not be a good place to let your thoughts stay. There, there can it, it's a, it's amazing to me how fickle my my will and my resolve to stay the course is whenever things get a little bit uncomfortable, whenever I'm no longer having fun, I'm no longer enjoying what is going on in my life, and all of a sudden I'm like, boy, am I gonna have to do this much longer? I don't know if I wanna stick around for this. And, and yet, when we feel that way, it's the mark of a true believer to trust God for a better future to remember that God's been doing this for a long time. And he hasn't failed yet. He's brought many, many people through despair and through hopelessness and through difficult and challenging life events. He knows what he's doing. In fact, it seems to be a necessary part of the process that God is engaged in as he conforms us to the image of his son, as he makes us more like Christ. You begin to realize that nobody really, really gets to grow, go very far in their walk with Christ or gets to grow very deep in their faith in Christ without going through some really dark 
difficult seasons of life. It's one of the means that he uses to get us there. And therefore, it begins to seem necessary. Name for me someone from the Bible or name for me someone from, from, from human history outside of the Bible who's been greatly used by God who has not experienced despair. So why should I think that if I'm going to grow to become more like Christ and if I'm going to be used of him to build his kingdom, I would be the exception? Not only is this something that God is able to deliver us from, but it seems to be something that he, in some sense, leads us into. He knows there's a depth of faith, there's a depth of relationship that we can only have with him having gone through difficult seasons, like the one that David finds himself in now. So remind yourself that God is working for a better future. If nothing else, Whatever it is that you're going through, if you're in Christ, if nothing else, the struggle that you're facing and and the thing that is causing you to despair will end at death. That's maybe not super comforting, but it should be at least mildly comforting. Worst case scenario is that you have to endure this until you die and then glory. Glory. And then eternity with, without that. In fact, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians that God is actually using those things that, that, that cause us pain and discomfort and despair. He's actually using them to produce for us a greater eternity with him. That, that your pain and your suffering as you follow Christ actually increases your joy in eternity. Well, if that be the case, if we were, if we were strong enough or perhaps crazy enough to do so, we would ask for more suffering <laughs> because it's producing for us a greater future. Now, I'm not recommending you do that. Nowhere in Scripture are we, are we encouraged to do that, but when you do suffer, you need to know that God has promised you a better future. I know you've heard me say this before, a lot of you, but um, one of Kim and I's most quoted quotes uh, around our house comes from the show Seinfeld, and it comes from an episode, I don't remember which episode it is, but it comes from an episode where George is complaining to Jerry about how miserable his life is and how things never go his way, and Jerry looks at him and he says, ah, another 50 years and it'll all be over. It's literally one of the most quoted quotes in our house. We just look at each other, and at at this point, now that we're in our 40s, um, it's not even 50 years. (laughs) Worst case scenario, it ends when we die. That's good news. When you despair, trust God for a better future. Finally, most importantly, When you despair, look to Jesus. When you despair, look to Jesus. 
this is not some cliche, I haven't mentioned Jesus yet in this sermon kind of point. You may have recognized as we read through Psalm 22 on numerous occasions is this psalm either quoted by or applied to Jesus' own suffering in the New Testament. This psalm has deep connections to Jesus on the cross. The opening words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me, are one of the few things that are recorded, at least one of the few things recorded, that Jesus spoke on the cross. You have to remember that as Jesus is being crucified with nails through his hands and nails through his feet, he, he's in this constant sort of convulsion of suffocating and pushing himself up to gasp for breath, back down to suffocating, to pushing himself, each movement equally painful. And so Jesus apparently said very little on the cross, and yet one of the things that he chose to say through the agony of what it would take to get words out, he actually quotes the opening line of Psalm 22. Let's read the story in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, starting in verse 45, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. Jesus is on the cross, by the way. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly this man was the son of Jesus, in the process of dying, remembers Psalm 22. He remembers what David said in his moments of despair. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And just like David experienced in Psalm 22 where his enemies surrounded him and mocked him, the people around Jesus began to mock him. Well, let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. And Jesus hanging there, much like David described himself, you can see my bones, and I was, I was, I was an embarrassing sight to look upon, and yet my enemies looked on in scorn, and they laughed, and they rejoiced. And yet... God was accomplishing through Jesus' darkest hour the greatest 
feet of redemption history ever known to mankind. He was, he was securing for us, and he was securing for his son a better future. This, this, this cycle of suffering, despair, and yet faith, and then eventually rejoicing was experienced not only by David, but it was experienced by your Savior. He went through the darkest experience that man could ever go through. Abandoned by the Father. Well, you thought, you thought David could not see God at work. You thought David could, could not discern God's presence. How much more shocking is it to hear that your Savior experienced the darkness? Why did darkness come over the whole land? I think we must conclude this was symbolic of the darkness that Jesus was experiencing on that cross. Don't trick yourself into thinking that because he was Jesus, he didn't really suffer. Oh, he knew how this was going to end. Or he knew, he knew this was... Jesus, in his, in his humanity, experienced that pain the same way that you and I experience the pain that we go through. What is this all about? Where, what happened to God's good plan? How, how is this ever going to work out? For my good, when you despair, look to Jesus. Look to your Savior. Remind yourself that he did this for you. And now he's asking you to endure what he's asking you to go through with faith, and confidence, and prayer. Don't neglect assembling together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Trust God for a better future. And ultimately, look to your Savior when you despair.